Wow, that's good. Well, thank you so much. I want to thank our praise team and all of you who took part in our worship. And I pray the Lord was honored and glorified. And I appreciate you taking part. That's what it's all about for us to come together and worship Him. And so uh, I'm happy that we were able to do that today. This morning I want to share um, passages from Matthew, from 1 Corinthians, and from the book of Exodus. As I share a sermon entitled, When I See the Blood. When I See the Blood. And let me just give you a heads up. It's still there. The blood's still there. And I appreciate Terry and Kyle sharing that song with us today and all the other songs. We focus on Christ and on the blood and on the crucifixion. And the purpose for all of that. Matthew chapter 26. We're going to look at verse 26 through 30. Then we'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 24 through 25. Um, and so then we'll turn back to the Old Testament. So we're going to use our Bibles this morning. And so I um, hope you'll follow along. First of all, let's look at Matthew chapter 26. And I want to read... Verse uh, 26, Matthew 26, verse uh, 26 through 30. This is when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sin. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. Now, if you will, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want to read verses, two verses there, and we'll refer back to these back in, uh, from time to time. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse uh, 24 and 25. May pick up 26 also. As his disciples there in verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he, he broke it and said, Take this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You might, might want to underline in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it, there again, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, Till he comes. And then if you will look back in the Old Testament, second book, as we look at Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, and we want to look at some verses there. Exodus chapter 12, verse 4 through 7. This is when the Passover was instituted. 
Verse 4, And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take according to the number of persons, according to each man, man's need. You shall make your count for the lamb. Nothing wasted is what he's saying. Verse 5, And your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep and from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. If you will look at verse 12. God says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, and I'll execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. May we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. As we read your word, hear your word, meditate upon your word, help us to understand that it is the inspired word of God. It's God-breathed. It's the inerrant word of God. Help us to realize, Lord, that it's a message from you. Thank you for what you're going to do in this service. Father, as we focus upon your blood, and we make this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're going to be observing the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted the ordinance on the night of his arrest prior to his crucifixion. There are two elements involved in the Lord's Supper, and I know you're aware of this, but it's good for us to review it. First is the bread, the second is the cup. And so after Jesus blessed the bread, he said... Take, eat. Now, he's symbolically speaking of his body. So he takes the bread, symbolically speaking of his body, and he breaks it, and he says, take and eat. Now, we know that he was uh, symbolically speaking of his physical body. He's there in the presence of his disciples, and so he's telling them in a symbolic way, this bread represents my body. Now, however, there are some today who teach the doctrine that's known as transubstantiation. Transubstantiation simply means that those who believe this doctrine believe that the bread and the cup, after they take the bread and after they take the cup, digest it, then that actually becomes the body and the blood of Jesus. Now, if they believe that, and many do, they base that belief on, on a false impression that you must participate in the Lord's Supper in order to be saved. That's how you have Christ living in you. And so taking the Lord's Supper is very important. That's how you intake Christ, body and blood, into your body. And so that's very important to them, but we know that the Bible in Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved, through faith, and it's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Verse 9 says, Not of works, 
least any man should boast. So the point is, when a person comes to Christ and believes in Him, at that moment, we receive all the benefits of His body and of His blood that was offered when He was crucified, at the very moment that we receive Christ. Therefore, why do we observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper? Why do we observe it? Well, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Go back there and look at those two verses, verse 24 and 26. Verse 24 says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he tells us why we do it. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. So we observe the ordinance to remember Jesus. His death, his sacrificial death on the cross for you and for me. So we, we take the Lord's Supper, take part in this supper to remember his sacrificial death and what he did on the cross for us. Now, would you not agree that there are times in the world, that in this world that we live in, that we have a tendency from time to time to grow cold in our relationship with Jesus? Do you not think that there are times when we become casual in our relationship with Jesus? Do you think there's times that we're not as close to Jesus that we should be? That we're indifferent somehow to the Lord Jesus? And so we need a time. We need a certain time uh, from time to time to remember what Jesus did for us on Calvary. And so we partake of the bread and the cup, the Lord's Supper, to remember what Jesus did at the cross there on Calvary, his sacrificial death. So if you're taking notes, the reason for the Lord's Supper, we do this to remember him and what he did for us. Now let's look at the elements, just a moment. First of all, you have the elements of the Lord's Supper. You have the bread. Jesus said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, this is my body which was broken for you. Now if you remember... When Jesus died, the veil of the temple was separated from top to bottom. Now, there's an there's a, 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 a interesting phrase found in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read that to you. In Hebrews chapter 10, jot down verse 19 and 20. Here's what God's Word says. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holy, holiest, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Did you see that? His veil, the flesh. And so the point is, his veil, he refers to it as the flesh of Jesus. The point is, when Jesus died, his veil split, his flesh split. Out came his blood. Now what that means is that when they placed a crown of thorns, it split his flesh. He began to breathe. He began to bleed. And then when they, uh, uh, when they scourged him with a cat of nine tails, he began to bleed. His, his, his veil was split. And then when they, uh, the spear went into his side, his veil was split. And when the nails went into his hands and to his feet, the veil was split. His veil. When he died, his veil, his flesh was torn and it split and out came his blood. 
And so this morning, remember, his flesh was his body, and this body was torn for you and me. And so his body was broken, his body was torn for you and for me. And so you have the element, which is the bread, the first element. Then you have the cup. Now, that's the second element. And that cup reminds us of his blood. Now, the question is, why the blood? Why remember the blood? Well, if you'll turn back to Exodus chapter 12, we're going to spend the rest of our time here. Why the blood? Now, just to... Uh, just to review you for a moment, the nation Israel, if you remember, had been in bondage for over 400 years, and God had dwelt with Egypt through nine different plagues, and there was one plague to go, and it was the death of the first child. Uh, God had dealt with Egypt, and he dealt with Pharaoh, and he was trying to encourage Pharaoh to let his people leave with Moses where they could go and they could worship him. And so there was one plague remaining, and that was the plague of the death of the firstborn. So God decided to send death to the firstborn in every household, including the livestock. However, Israel, they could escape this death angel, but it would depend upon their faith. And if they would just put the blood of the Passover lamb on their doorpost and stay inside their homes, the death angel would pass over them. Look at chapter 12 of, uh, uh, chapter 12 of Exodus, and look at verse 5. Your lamb shall, and it describes what kind of lamb it should be, your lamb shall be without blemish, without blemish. Some translation says without spot and blemish. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And so they would take a lamb without blemish, without spot or blemish, really, i.e., meaning without sin, referring to Jesus a little later. And they were to keep this lamb, look at verse 6, and keep it until the 14th day of the same month. That was about three days. They were going to keep this lamb three days, and while they had that lamb for three days, they were going to evaluate that lamb, and they were going to look at all, they were going to look over that lamb completely to make sure it had no blemish. And then at the end of the three days, if they found it had no blemish, they could kill it for the Passover lamb. But remind it, be reminded that the Lord didn't spend three days. The Lord spent three years, and he went three years going up and down the Judean hills, and, and he was under great scrutiny from all religious leaders of that day, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and all those that disagreed with him, and none of them could accuse him of any wrongdoing. So after the sacrificial lamb was chosen and proven, they slew it. Exodus chapter 12, verse 7. And it says, Take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel, of the houses where you eat it. In verse 12, For I'll pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all gods of Egypt, and I'll execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood, this, the blood shall be a sign for you in the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I'll pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you uh, to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so after they put the blood on their doorpost, they were safe inside. 
I mean, they were standing around the table. They were ready to eat the Passover meal. And uh, they were just, they, they'd completed everything God had said to do. And so the question is, were they afraid? No, they weren't afraid. They, they, they felt calm. They felt secure. They did exactly what God said. They felt calm and secure. Now, why was that? Because by faith, they had done what Christ had asked them to do. Exactly. They had applied the blood to the doorpost. Their faith is what gave them their security. Let me say that again. If you're afraid today, their faith is what gave them their security. Their faith in their Lord God. However, God not only looked at their faith, but he also looked at the doorpost. And when he saw the blood, that's when he saw their faith. And he guaranteed their safety. They took, they had their faith, they obeyed God, and because of their faith, God looked at their faith. He also saw the doorpost. He saw the blood. And God's grace, the grace of God saves us. You see, you and I, we don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve it. The Bible says, for by grace, the unmerited favor of God, God offers us salvation through his unmerited favor. His grace saves us. And not only does his grace save us, but his grace keeps us. And so the point is, it was through their exercise of faith, but it was through the blood applied to the door that guaranteed them that the death angel would pass over them. You can't get around the blood sacrifice that's required for salvation. You can't get around it. You remember in the book of Genesis, God required a blood, a blood sacrifice to make clothing for Adam and Eve to conceal their, their nakedness. Do you remember he required Cain and Abel to bring an offering and Cain brought vegetables and Cain wanted to try another way, but Abel brought the first of his flock? The same is true for us today. God demands a blood sacrifice before he can remit our sins. Hebrews 9.22 says it this way, Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. If you will, turn to a familiar passage, Romans 3, verse 23, and we're going to close with this. Romans 3, verse 23. Now this is uh, a verse that perhaps we've uh, memorized from time to time, but we need to Look at the context, Romans 3, verse 23, and we're going to read down through probably a verse uh, 27 for just a moment. Romans 3, verse 23. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace, his unmerited favor, being justified, being made right with God by grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, what's redemption? We've been justified by grace through the redemption of Christ Jesus. Well, that word redemption simply means to buy back something that originally belonged to you, but you lost it, and you repurchase it. You buy it back again. 
Redemption is losing control, say perhaps a piece of property, and the only way you can regain control of that property is to buy it back. And so he says, we have been redeemed. Look at verse 24. Being justified freely by grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God lost the human race when Adam sinned. And immediately he put into motion this process of redemption, buying the human race back. And he bought it back with a price. And that price, Romans 3, verse 25, whom God set forth a propitiation by his blood through faith, whom God had set forth to be a, an a propitiation. That word propitiation means to appease. God was appeased through the work of Jesus Christ at Calvary and the holiness that he requires has been satisfied. He redeemed us. He purchased us back by what Christ did at Calvary. There's a divine power in the blood of Jesus. You know, um, the blood system in a baby, when a person is born, that blood system doesn't come from the mother, it comes from the father. And so, although Jesus was born of a human mother, he had no human blood. Joseph wasn't his true father. His true father was Father God. And so, uh, he had no sin in his life whatsoever. Look at verse 26. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Where is the boasting then? It, it's excluded. By what law? What law are you justified? Well, there's none. What works are you justified? Well, he says, well, there's none. It's a rhetorical question. No, but you've been justified by the law of faith. You've been made right with God, not, not by law, nothing, by you've, nothing that you've done, but you've been made right simply by faith, believing in the Lord Jesus. Verse 20, 27 says, well, wherein is your boasting? It's excluded. By what law? By what works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. If you would turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to look at uh, verse 7. Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And then turn on over, if you will, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter, 18, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Peter 1, verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. Notice the word redeemed, purchased back. You're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your father. But you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, and without spot. So the point is, the concept of the Passover lamb was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. How he shed his blood, 
to purchase our redemption. It all began back there with the nation Israel. They really didn't know what was happening. Little did they know that God was painting a picture of the cross on their, on their door with the blood. God said in Gen- uh, Exodus twelve thirteen, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. He didn't say, if you believe in what you can do yourself, I'll pass over you. He didn't say, if you live a good moral life, I'll pass over you. He didn't say, if you worship me, I'll pass over you. The only thing he said was, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Go back just for a moment to that terrible night in, in Egypt. Just pitch black darkness covered the land. But yet there in Goshen you found all the Jews and they, they were in their homes and they had, their, they had blood on the doorpost. And all of those in Goshen, they could hear the weeping and they could hear the wailing and they could hear the mourning. But every Jew behind the door with the blood was safe. They were secure. Not because anything that they had done. They put their faith... They applied the blood to the door, but it was all about the blood. Here's the question. The big question is this as we close out. Are you under the blood? Are you under the blood? Have you by faith allowed Jesus Christ to apply his blood over your life? Have you done that? If you haven't, would you be willing to do that today? Today, would you be willing, as God reaches down, would you by faith reach up to him? As he reaches down in grace to you, would you by faith reach up to him and accept him as the Lord and Savior of your life, receiving the blood over your life, his blood? Once and for all, be safe, be secure in his salvation. We're going to have an invitation hymn in just a moment. And if you've never done that, you'll have a chance to do that today. You have an opportunity to do that. If you haven't done so already, let me suggest that you do it today. Do it today. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for a time that we've had just to focus upon the blood. We know, Lord, that uh, it hasn't lost its power to save. Lord, we know that salvation comes by our faith and trust in you. Not from what we do, but what you've done there at Calvary. And I pray for each person today, Lord. They may be here and they've never trusted you as Lord and Savior of their life. You've spoken to their heart. And I pray today that they would step out in faith by trusting you as the Lord and Savior of their life. This morning, if you've never trusted Christ, would you pray and ask Christ to come into your life and save you? He said that whoever calls on him shall be saved. Not might be or could be or maybe, but shall be. So this morning, would you just pray right where you are and say something like this. Let it be your prayer. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And today I realize that if I die, that I wouldn't go to heaven. But I want to go to heaven And today, Lord, I want to trust you as Lord and Savior of my life. I believe the gospel. I believe that you came, 
and you died on the cross for my sins. And you were raised again on the third day. And one day you're coming back. And today I put all of my trust in you to save me. And Lord, when I put my faith and trust in you, I know I'll be safe. I know I'll be secure, whatever happens. Please forgive me and come into my life and save me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today you might have prayed and asked Christ to save you. He says something like this in his word. He says this in Matthew 10. He said, if you confess me before men on earth, I'll confess you before my Father which is in heaven. And if you deny me before men on earth, I'll deny you before my Father which is in heaven. Would you be willing today to stand and as the invitation is given, just come forth and say, Brother Sammy, I've asked Christ to save me. I just want to make that public today. Would you do that? That's a public profession of faith.